expanding a series of effects or consequences that are, that are the result of a single event or action. Now, we've all done it. You've taken a stone and you've thrown it into a pond and you see the concentric circles that are rippling outward from the center where you threw the stone. Now that's not the only effect that that throw might have had. It's very possible that the sound of it going in may have scared a duck that was on the pond or the weight of it going down through the water disturbed fish that were swimming there. Um, you are tied to all of that. You're tied to the stone, you're tied to the water, you're tied to the ducks, and you're tied to the fish by the ripples. You have caused change through a single and simple act. That can be changed for good or it can be changed for bad. Sometimes our actions create unintended consequences through the ripples, the rogue ripples that go out from the center. In today's story from Acts chapter 5, the brand new church is like the pond in that it's refreshed and energized by the Holy Spirit. And it contains a delicately balanced spiritual ecosystem with all the nutrients to give life to a dying world. But in Acts chapter 5, in the very first verse, a rogue wave is introduced. A man named Ananias throws a stone into the pond and the ripples that go out from it threaten uh, the delicate balance of that very first church and in some ways threaten us clear centuries later. So what do you do to stop the ripple effect? Truth is you can't unless you're God and you created the pond. Well good morning. Good to see you today. I want to say hey to those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus or on the internet or maybe listening to a podcast. I'm glad you're along uh, for the ride today also. Um, last night, uh, there were folks in the congregation that said, what's up with the pink ribbon? Just to explain, most of you know, this is uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And uh, my mother died of breast cancer at about my age, actually. And uh, so... Uh, just in honor of her and many courageous women, many in this church who've fought that disease, and uh, we're praying for a cure, amen? And uh, so, anyway, that's what's up with that. Hey, um, have you ever read a story uh, from the Bible, and after you read it, you thought, boy, that that's extreme. Maybe it was the way that God judged it or dealt with it, and you said, what's up with that? Have you ever read one of those and gone, man, that's incredible? You know, maybe an entire city's wiped out, or in the case of today... Ananias and Sapphira, if you've read ahead, uh, it's kind of an extreme judgment. Well, let me give you a tip on understanding some of those things. I think that if you keep the ripple effect in mind, it will help you to some degree to understand how God deals with some things. Uh, for instance, the, the ripple effect. I, I was reading an article this week uh, in 
um, a newspaper or maybe it was on the internet. And uh, the headline said this, uh, Wifeless Future for China's Men. It went on and it told the story and it said that by the year 2020, that as many as 30 million men of marriageable age in China will not find a spouse. They said that there are kindergarten classes that are way overbalanced male to female. In fact, they gave the example of one that had 38 uh, boys and just eight girls. What's up with that? Why is it that way? Well, if you trace it back, it, it goes back to a decision that China made in the 1970s to limit population growth. They felt like the population was growing way too fast, and so they said to every family you can only have one child, and it will limit the growth of the population, and it has to some degree. But there has been ripple effects. In fact, unintended consequences that they, they probably didn't plan on or didn't know. One of those uh, was that in their culture, um, <clears throat> often the, the welfare system is the family, okay? If you, ha- you have kids, the kids take care of the parents, what have you. And so if families were pregnant with a girl, uh, then they knew that uh, she was far less likely to take care of them or have the earning capacity, at least in that culture, to take care of them. And so the abortion rate went way up. They were aborting baby girls and keeping baby boys, and now the delicate system of biology has been tampered with, which leaves an unintended consequence. It's a ripple effect. And in the Bible, you see ripple effects. Well, in our lives, every decision that we make has a ripple effect. And oftentimes in the Bible, you see people making decisions to follow God, not follow God, to do various things. And at times God lets it go. But at other times, when when it threatens the delicate balance of the story of God and the story of the people of God throughout the Bible, you'll see an ending to a ripple effect quickly, which you won't understand and I don't understand oftentimes because I don't understand all of the consequences, even as China probably didn't when they made the decision, but God does. So kind of keep that in mind. All right, here's what I want to do. I'm loving the study of Acts, you know, and I hope you do. I I do these because I like them, and I'm hoping you're coming along for the the trip, you know. But uh, we're we're studying Acts, and we're studying the Spirit-filled church. It's been kind of exciting. Jesus promised the church in Acts chapter 1 that if he went away and that he was going away, that he would send the Comforter, the promised Holy Spirit, the gift, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, you see the results of it. Their, their witness is, is just empowered. I mean, people who you know, uh, maybe normally uh, would deny Christ or maybe would be shy about it would stand up and share the good news. They began to love one another and loved the church as never before. They saw an increase in their ministry ability. They were able to do things that they, they uh, never even dreamed that they could do in, in any other context. And their generosity, it was like, wow, you read the stories, and they're, you know, they're, they're sharing all their stuff, and there's not any poor among them. Uh, an incredible, an incredible church. And then in Acts chapter 4, they kind of run into their first road bump. Jeff talked about that last week when uh, the government basically said, you can't share in Jesus' name. And so they came together for a prayer meeting and they didn't pray, God, bring the government down. Lord, kill the president. You know, whatever. They didn't do anything like that. They said, God, help us to be bold. Fill us with boldness so that we'll be able to do what we need to do. And then in Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to pick up the end of chapter 4 because it kind of ties together with chapter 5. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, after this it says, 
the, after the prayer, the building where they were meeting shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached God's message with boldness. And so God answers their prayer by filling them with the Holy Spirit. Just a point of reference here that we need to understand. And some of you who are sharp will say, well, this same group of people were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, what's up with that? thought they were already full. Well, they leak. How many of you leak every once in a while? Okay? And so the whole concept of being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a one-time experience. Hey, I did that in 1987. You know, I got the deal. No, 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 no. It is a continually, constantly being full and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, so it's a Spirit-filled church. What does a Spirit-filled church look like? I remember uh, when I was just a kid, maybe 10, 11 years old, my parents went on a mission trip, and so I spent most of the summer in a small church in Oklahoma that my grandfather pastored. It was a rural community, really, really small and the church that he pastored had a sign on the front. I don't remember exactly what the name of the church was, but on the sign it said, uh, we are a full gospel, spirit-filled church. Full gospel, spirit-filled church. Well, I would think that a full gospel, spirit-filled church would believe the Bible and being spirit-filled that they would be full of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, long-suffering, you know, the fruits of the Spirit, because that's what it means to be spirit-filled is that you are full of God's Holy Spirit where that the evidence of that, there's a lot of evidence and, and a big part of it is that there's just a whole lot of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness. You look at somebody like that and you say, boy, they are full of the Holy Spirit. And you thought that was what that church would be like. Not so much. In fact, it was a little church and you guys have maybe gone into churches like this uh, that, uh, you know, you, you go into the back door and the back door is right in the middle, you know, right here. And there are, you know, two rows of pews on either side with maybe 10 pews uh, going up. And then you've got the front and the, the altar area and the pulpit. Well, in this church, um, the people that sat on this side didn't like the people that sat on this side. <laughs> Honest, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this one bit. You had a church split, but everybody stayed in the church because it's a small town. They're not going to build another building. And so they just don't talk to one another. They had business meetings once a year at the church where you'd talk about money and, you know, vote on whatever it is that little churches vote on. And they would bring in the sheriff. I'm honest. They would bring in the sheriff to stand to make sure that no fights broke out in this spirit-filled, full gospel church. Something is wrong with this picture. Well, Acts 4 describes a Spirit-filled, full gospel church. In verse 32, it says, All the believers were of one heart and mind, and they felt that that what they owned was not their own. They shared everything. Here's two characteristics of a Spirit-filled church. Unity. They were all of one heart and mind. Generosity. They felt like nothing that they owned was their own. Here's the attitude. We're just stewards. You know, God has trusted. Isn't it incredible that God has trusted me with what He's trusted me with? Do you need some of it? I'd be happy to share it. That's a Spirit-filled church. What an incredible, powerful, powerful place. In fact, if you go on and read, it says, And the apostles gave powerful witness 
to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great favor was upon them all. And there was no poverty among them because people who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money to the apostles to give to others in need. Then it gives an example of one of those. It says, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I'd like to have that nickname. Not sure I like Barnabas, but son of encouragement. And they said, you know, this guy's constantly encouraging people, so let's just let's just call him that, you know. And he was from the tribe of Levi, which comes from the island of Cyprus, and, and he sold a field that he owned and he brought the money to the apostles for those in need. And that kind of closes the chapter. So here we've got it. A powerful, spirit filled church where they're loving each other and sharing in a powerful testimony to the reality of Christ. Nothing can stop that kind of church. It's, it's the kind of church that, that Jesus had in mind that is loving one another. And it's attractive to the outside because people on the outside can say, well, I don't know if I believe the Jesus deal, but can you see how they're treating one another? Can you see how they're... Boy, we're glad they're in our community. Okay, So, so this is the church that, that Jesus dreamed of. Powerful. What can stop them? Nothing, right? Well, actually... They can be stopped, but not from the outside. It's going to be, the threat is going to come from the inside. Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. It said, There was also a man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. And he brought part of the money to the apostles, but he claimed that it was the full payment or the full amount. And his wife agreed to this deception. So let's just kind of break it down a little bit. Ananias and Sapphira. Kind of get caught up in the moment. You know, here's everybody's loving one another and giving, and here Barnabas sells some land, and, and, and they just kind of got caught up in the moment maybe. And, and so they sell some land, and they decide, listen, let's give part of the money to the church. And that's not, nothing wrong with that. There's no rule here that says it's not like a communist society or whatever. You know, people have said, well, the New Testament is, is communist. Well, communism or socialism or whatever comes from the, the top down, the outside in. This is bubbling up from the inside out. It's just kind of a work of the Holy Spirit that says, okay, I care now. I care, and so I have a responsibility for my fellow man uh, to give. And so they, they could control that. I mean, if they wanted to sell, Holy Spirit prompts them to sell, it's great. If they want to give part of the money, not a problem, not a problem at all. But they claim it's the whole amount. And that's where the problem lies. Why, why did they do that? We don't know. We don't know. But I think that part of it had to do with um, maybe Ananias wanting to look or trying to look better than he really was. He saw that Barnabas did this and people thought it was great and, and you know they applauded him and all of this. And, and maybe he goes... I'd like to look like that, but I'm not really going to hold it, give, give it all. And so he says that he did, and he tries to look better than he really was. Let, let me ask you a question. Have, have you ever done that? I mean, not sold a piece of land and lied about how much you gave. How many of you, honestly, have ever tried to look better than you really are? Don't raise your hand or anything, because I don't see any hands going up. But I do see some embarrassed looks on faces, kind of like, uh, uh, give me an example. Okay, I will. Maybe at work you padded the numbers a little bit to make you look better than you really are. Or, or maybe you enhance the story 
You, you, you ever tell a story and, and it just gets better every time you tell it? That's why I like to say I never was as good as I used to be. You, you know what I'm saying? It, maybe it's in your small group. Maybe people are you know, talking about how good God... I'll give you an example from me just because I don't want to embarrass you. Uh, I, was, I was at a gathering of, uh, of, of some pastors one time and I think it was pastors and leaders of churches and, and uh, they had us break it up into small groups. There were, there were three of us in, in this group and so we were just supposed to you know, talk about some stuff and, and one of the guys says, uh, says man, <clears throat> he said, I had just an incredible... Um, quiet time this morning. He said, uh, I just, uh, you know, and he went through the whole thing. It was from, you know, Isaiah did this and da-da-da-da-da. And it, it was just powerful. It was like he was preaching to us. And then he turned to the guy next to me, one of the three, two of the three, and he said, how was your quiet time today? And I could tell this guy did not have a quiet time, but he was not going to say that to anybody. And so he began to make some stuff up. I could just tell he was making stuff up. I'm thinking he, the first guy's trying to look good because he did it. I, I, th- I think his attitude's wrong. And the second guy's making it up. What am I going to do? Because I just hauled my sorry self out of bed. I slept through whatever. <clears throat> I haven't even thought about God or anybody yet. I, I just would like to have some coffee. I just would like to have some coffee. And so I began to scramble for what God was teaching me at that hour of the moment. And sure enough, the time came and I decided not to. And I said, you know, brother, I've learned a lot from your quiet time this morning. I tell you, that was powerful. That really was. We try to make ourselves look better than we really are. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? A lot of reasons. Insecurity. We're trying to impress. Somebody said one time we're trying to impress people we don't even like with stuff we don't have. And we do. We try to impress, you know. And it's part of that is because we don't understand the gospel. I don't have to impress God anymore. God is God's not impressed with me, and God doesn't expect me to impress Him. Uh, he knows who I am. He knows everything I've done. He knows my inclinations, and yet, according to wisdom and knowledge, one of the verses says He chose to adopt me as a son, not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. And because of that, when I really get that in here, and it keeps getting in here and getting out, you have those, those kind of things, you know, hey, get, settle in here, you know, so I understand it. I don't have to impress God, so I don't have to impress other people, but we do it. We, we, we lie. We try to make ourselves seem better than we are because we try to impress. Sometimes it's competition. Sometimes we're, we're trying to one-up one another. Maybe that was what it was with Ananias. Maybe, you know, maybe it was a political thing for him. Maybe he's seeing, hey, here's the growth of the church Barnabas has done this. They look, they're starting to look to certain people for leadership. And I've got to look good if I'm going to be selected for, you know, whatever it happens to be, leadership or whatever. I don't know. But sometimes it's that way. It's competition. Sometimes it's just trying to get noticed. It's a power play. But the root of it is pride. And here's the truth, gang. It's serious. Look at how serious it is. Then Peter <clears throat> said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart. Just a little note here. God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are going to be filled with something. Okay? You're going to be filled with something. Either it's going to be the Holy Spirit or it's going to be it's going to be sin. It's going to be self. In this case he was filled 
with Satan, it says, which I'm sure came as a, a surprise to him. He had no idea that those were the stakes, maybe. He says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. After selling it, the money was yours to give away. How could you do a thing like that? You weren't lying to us, but you were lying to God. Takes it to a whole other level. Now, how did Peter know this? Had somebody told him? Don't think so. This is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's full of the Holy Spirit now. And there's a whole list of gifts in 1 Corinthians, and one of them is a word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is where you get information that you couldn't otherwise have had. The Holy Spirit drops it on you for a specific purpose. And this is what evidently is happening here. Verse 5, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Wow. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. So let me ask you again. Do you ever try to make yourself better than you are? Better answer that one right. (laughs) Don't want anybody dying this morning. You're not lying to me. You're lying to God. You got it? You got it? See, look at the next verse. Or the next part. It says, everyone who heard about it was terrified. You think you would be? That happens when somebody dies during the offering. Okay? not a bad thing it makes you alert okay alert verse six then some of the young men wrapped him in a sheet and took him out and buried him and about three hours later his wife came in not knowing what had happened and peter asked her was the price that you paid your husband what was the or was this the price that you you and your husband received for the land be careful here see there's no submission clause that requires a wife to lie for her husband in this particular time it cost her her life Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of doing a thing like this? Conspiring together to test the Spirit of the Lord. Just outside that door are the young men who buried your husband, and they will carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside the church. Great fear gripped (laughs) the entire church and all the others who heard what had happened. I'm sure it did. Capital campaign slogan for building a new building. When you lie, you die. You know, I mean, that's just... <clears throat> Great fear. Think about the young guys that carried him out. First they come in, here's Ananias, and he's dead. And Peter says, carry him out and bury him somewhere. And these young men are carrying him out. What are they, what's the conversation between one another? You know, I told you... You know how I told you I didn't eat your Pop-Tart three days ago? Dude, I ate three of them, man. I just want you to know that. Then they carry out Sapphira. (laughs) He says, man, not only did I steal your Pop-Tarts, but I took your Michael Jackson CD too. I just want you to know that. Don't know if you've missed it yet. There's a higher degree of accountability going on. You know what's happening here? God's stopping the ripple because the ripple could have destroyed the church. And let me tell you why. Let me just give you a couple of, couple of things to think about. Why, the, why, why is this such a big deal? Why is sin such a big deal? The ripple effect. Number one, the ripple effect of sin short-circuits the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why it's a big deal. It short-circuits the work 
of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I wonder what were God's plans or what could have been God's plans to use Ananias and Sapphira? What could he have done through them? I don't know. But I know sin sin short-circuited it, whatever it was. Here's what I do know. I do know that God has plans to use you. Jeremiah 29, 11 is not just for Israel. I believe it's for you. It says, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. They're good plans. They're plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That's God's plans for you. Every week uh, here at the church, we read from the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. It says that God is able to do abundantly more than you could ask or imagine. God has great plans for you. I believe that He does. He has plans that are abundantly more than you could ask or imagine. What are they? I don't know, but I know that He does. But I also know that sin will short-circuit the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I had a friend in ministry many, many years ago. His name was Jim. Uh, Jim was what I like to call like the total package. Do you know anybody that's the total package? You don't like them, do you? Yeah, especially when they're your friend. I love Jim. I really did love Jim. We spent a lot of time together, shared a lot together. Jim uh, was, uh, his personality was, was one of these that everybody just liked him. Everybody did. He was good looking. He was talented he was an exceptional communicator. He was in ministry. He was, just, he was just the total package, the guy that people looked at, listened to, and went, wow, that guy's going, going a long ways. And I think he could have. But he had sin in his life that he harbored. Sin in his life that he, he never confessed. He tried to look better than he was. He did that all the time. I kind of sensed there was something wrong. My regret... These days is that I didn't press in harder on him. But he always looked good, always looked good, always looked good, always looked good. And then the sin inside of him cratered his inner man. And it, and, and it happened kind of all at once, although it, it took time. It, it, behind the scenes, it was taking time. But to those of us who knew him, it happened all at once. At first, he lost his honor. Then he lost his place in ministry. And then he lost his family. And then he lost everything. And I, I remember meeting with him about eight years ago in a small town in Kentucky. He had moved there. and I knew he was there, and I, I, I had somebody else figure out how to get a hold of him. I got a hold of him, and I said, Hey, Jim, this is Greg. I'd love to talk to you. He really didn't want to. Finally, I convinced him, and he came out to little McDonald's, I think, and came in, and he, he, was, a, he was a shell of the man that he was. Still trying to look better than he really was. But he'd lost it all. And and, and as I drove away, I thought, I wonder what could have been. Because here's what happened. Sin short-circuited the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Sin short-circuited what God wanted to do through him. And it always does that. And the, the... the pattern or the process is really pretty predictable. We're, first, we're drawn away by our sin. Something entices us. You know, it's a subtle habits start to creep in. Something we enjoy. Maybe it's a lust for sex. Maybe it's a lust for food. 
Or maybe it's pride. Or maybe it's anger. We justify it. Maybe it's the love of power, recognition, jealousy, whatever it is. But it, it starts to draw us away, become secret. Then we start excusing our sin. Start backing away from Scripture. We don't want to hear it. We develop a secret suspicion that, you know what, maybe, maybe that's old time. Maybe that's old school. Maybe God has it wrong on that. Third thing we do is we begin to be distant. So they're not around anymore. They're, you know, maybe they're there and it's just there's not a transparency that is the characteristic of like a spirit-filled relationship. We don't want correction. Some leave the church at that point. Some stay, but they have areas of their life where um, they live how they want to live. They develop an ability not to hear things. Even when I preach or whoever's teaching, you know, I'll teach something and, and they just develop an ability not to hear it, just to slide it by. And then the fourth thing that happens is our heart becomes hardened. Paul in Ephesus calls it a calloused heart. We're convinced of our rightness and suddenly God is distant. I have friends that I grew up with that claim not to believe anymore. With some of them it started in college. I mean, we were kind of in this spiritual hothouse in the church that we grew up in and we were kind of in a protected environment in our families and then we went away to college and there was exposed to a whole different lifestyle without limits. Some of my friends are sincere in that they don't believe. They, but their unbelief, many of them, started with sin and the sin drew them away. And Some were embarrassed by it and it became a secret. And they feel trapped and so they change their beliefs and even get bitter at God. Do you have friends like that? Do you know anybody like that? Maybe you're like that today. Well, see, so you can tell when someone is slowly starting to turn away from God because they start making excuses for their sins. I've seen this in marriage situations, especially when adultery comes in. And you talk to the person who perhaps is cheating on their husband or their wife, and they'll say, you know what, God doesn't want me unhappy. Anybody that's been married for any period of time will struggle with unhappiness in your marriage. It just happens. Uh, and, and, and then I deserve someone who really loves me for who I am. And maybe they've met that someone else. And if I just met that person before, I married the one I'm married to now. I can't help myself and then God will forgive me. Making excuses. They're lying to themselves. And more importantly, like Ananias, they're lying to the Holy Spirit. And gang, that is a big deal. It's called hardening of the heart. Isaiah 59 in verse 1 says, Listen, the Lord is not too weak to save you, and He is not becoming deaf. He can hear you when you call. But there's a problem. Your sins have cut you off from God. Because of your sin, He has turned away, and He will not listen anymore. That's why sin's so big. It short-circuits the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, and we can pray, and God doesn't listen. See, you, you, you can't... You can't go into it like a dating relationship that you know that God doesn't want you in and pray that He'll bless it anyway. God's not listening to you. The Holy Spirit's not going to work through you and reward your disobedience. Sin is a big deal because it short-circuits what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. But that's not even the biggest deal in this story. The bigger deal in this story and the reason that God judges it so harshly is because the ripple effect of sin short-circuits the work of the Holy Spirit in your community, in the church. 
It's a brand new church. It's the model church. It's full of the Holy Spirit. It's characterized by unity and generosity. God has big plans for that church. God has big plans for every church. But this is at the foundation of the church. This is brand new. Everything, you know, somebody told me one time, the seeds of the destruction are there in the very beginnings of any organization. And so you have to be careful what kind of foundation that you build on. So this is a crucial time for the church and Ananias and Sapphira because they are not full of the Holy Spirit. Their heart is filled with Satan. They they sin and they introduce competition and selfishness into the mix. It's a ripple effect. They throw a stone in here. Here's a church characterized by generosity and unity. Now we've got competition and selfishness thrown in. And where will the ripples go? And what will it do? Competition and disunity. Selfishness are toxic to any community. That's why Ephesians 4 and verse 3 says, Do your best to maintain the unity of the Spirit by the means of the bonds of peace. And so God deals with it swiftly and severely. Is that really fair? Is that really fair? I think it is. It's sacrificing the one for the many. The church is the hope of the world. The world is dying. Jesus comes and He dies. And He says, I'm going to establish a group of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit who will restore what is wrong in the world. They will bring back what is right. Not just in the church, but in every area of society. I want them to impact. It's called being missional. It's called living incarnational. It's being the Word made flesh in the society. It's restoring dignity to women who are battered. It's feeding the poor. It's caring about education. It's, it's restoring God's love and what God cares about to all areas of society. And the church is the vehicle and it's about to get sidetracked. Satan throws a rock into the pond and the ripple effect will destroy the church, will seed selfishness and disunity before it ever gets off the ground. God makes them an example. So we can see the devastating effects of sin on the community. If if you've ever been a substitute teacher, you know the importance of enforcing the rules in the first 15 minutes, right? This is the first 15 minutes of the church. God says, let me show you how seriously I take this. If you allow disunity and selfishness or any other sin to blatantly remain, it will destroy community and short-circuit the work of the Holy Spirit among you. Well, here's the truth. Sin is a big deal for God because it short-circuits the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and and also in the community, and it needs to be a big deal for us. So what do you do? How do we respond to sin in our community? Let me give you three things real quick and we'll close her out. Number one, take it seriously. I know this is not a real fun message. (laughs) How do you make somebody dying during the offering real fun? I, I, I don't know. But I I think it's a sobering thing that we need to look at. We need to take it seriously. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. Do you know what? That's always true. The payoff for sin. For Ananias and Sapphira, it was immediate. Boom, they're dead. For you and I, it's a slow death. But it's just as terminal. Sin kills it destroys relationships. It destroys small groups. It destroys workplaces. It destroys teams. 
It destroys churches, destroys people. The wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's we're we're hope dispensers. We're life dispensers. And so that's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be filled with something. And so we need to pray constantly. I want Seacoast to be a Spirit-filled church, even more so and more so and more so. Don't want to be filled with anything else. Second thing you do is lovingly confront when you see sin. What if I knew, or what if you knew that you could you could save someone's life and you didn't do it? Would that be wrong? Let's say you're a good swimmer and you see somebody drowning, and you could jump in and you could save their life, but you say, oh, that's not really my place. I don't want to get involved. Would that be wrong? It's not a trick question, okay? What if you're, let's take it a little easier. What if you're in the restaurant today after church? And somebody's choking on some food, and you know the Heimlich, you know, <laughs> you know that whole deal? And somebody says, hey, you know the Heimlich, they're choking, and you go, I don't know if that's my place. I really don't want to get involved. <laughs> you know, would that be wrong? Yeah, it'd be wrong. You're getting it. <laughs> so somebody's trapped in destructive behavior. Maybe they're drinking too much, or... There's drugs or sexual immorality. Maybe you've got a college roommate who's a Christ follower and she's staying overnight with her boyfriend. Or or maybe it's a friend that you work with that seems to be forming an emotional attachment with someone other than their spouse. I don't want to get involved in that. They're dying! Would it be wrong not to get involved? You bet it would. Or maybe you've got a friend that's stretching the truth to make themselves look better. Or maybe they're saying bad things about other people. Or maybe they're nursing a hurt to the point of bitterness. What should you do? I don't want to get involved in that. They're dying. Sin is going to destroy them. It's going to short-circuit the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And guess what? If you're in relationship with Him, whatever community you're a part of, it's going to short-circuit the work of the Holy Spirit in that community. Why wouldn't you get involved? Galatians 6.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another Christian is overcome by some sin, and you who are godly, then you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. Listen, godly doesn't refer to some elite spiritual class. Godly refers to you. You're just, you're a page ahead. You're not doing what they're doing, okay? You're a page ahead. It says you ought to restore them humbly and gently, willing to help a brother out because their life depends on it. The community depends on it. And then the third thing we ought to do is quickly forgive. Quickly forgive. Romans 4.32 says, Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ Jesus, has forgiven you. What did God do to you? When you repented of it, He forgot. And so when we restore a brother or sister that's in sin and they repent, we don't bring it up anymore. It's over. It's done. We walk on and move on. Well, here's my, here's my hope. Here's my dream. Here, here's the message. What if we all did that? What if we all did that? What if we took the unity of our community seriously? What if we were vigilant about helping each other out when we were trapped in sin? What if forgiveness became the defining characteristic of our community? What if we looked at ourselves and said, you know what, I don't want the work of the Holy Spirit to be short-circuited in me. Life's not worth it. Whatever it is that's drawn me away is not worth it. I'm going to repent and repent regularly. What if we did that? I think that God would begin doing even greater things among us. In fact, 
I think He'd do more than we could ask or even imagine. I want that. I hope you do too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today. Hard message, God. Sin always is. But good conclusion. You love us. You cared enough about the church that you stopped the ripple, the rogue ripple, early on and gave us an example to walk by. And God, I just pray uh, today that we would take a look at our own lives and our own hearts and that we would be better off for having walked out of this place studying your word. God, this morning I, uh, I asked that during our reflection time and our response time that there would be an honesty that would grip us as we reflect on our own lives and our own community. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.